And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grape is grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Good morning. It's good to be with you. If you and your, or your friends, if your friends or family are watching a baseball game or a basketball game and you come in the middle, what's your most likely question? Who is winning, right? Do you ever wonder who's winning in the battle for dominion of this world, whether it's Jesus or the devil? If you think of Netflix, rare is the time that the Christians are portrayed in a positive light. We can all think of ways that Christianity is marginalized here in Canada and other parts of the world. And we pray and pray. And while we rejoice in many of the answers that we do receive, often the answer is no or not yet, isn't it? Now, if you're coming into the middle of a game that's being played live, you, in fact, don't know how the game's going to end. We do, of course, know that Jesus wins in the end. And these three parables or sets of teachings encourage us to remember that, to stay the course and to rejoice. In addition to the encouragements, we find three sets, we find some warnings as well. The three sections of the sermon will simply be the three parables or the teachings of this passage. I've named them the light comes, the harvest comes, and the kingdom comes. First then, the light comes, or the lamp under the basket, verses 21 to 25. Let's review that together. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, 
and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. There's a lot going on in these verses. We're going to spend the majority of our time here. That's because some of it is frankly hard to understand, but it's also worth digging into. In New Testament times, they had little clay lamps. They were rounded at one end, sort of pointed at the other end. You put the oil in here, you have a wick coming out, and you light the wick, and you set it on its lampstand, and it illumines the whole house. And of course, it wouldn't make any sense to put it under a basket or to put it under your bed. That would defeat the purpose, wouldn't it? But now, what is the meaning of this passage for us? You can go all sorts of directions with this. However, there's an interesting twist in the original Greek, which may help explain it best. And I'm grateful to R.C. Sproul for pointing this out. You see in verse 21 where it says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Sproul points out that the Greek doesn't say a lamp, but the lamp. So it would read, is the lamp brought in to be put under a basket? And he says, secondly, it's not the passive brought in, but the Greek actually says comes, it's active. So it would mean, does the lamp come to be put under a basket? That sprawl says can only mean Jesus. Does Jesus come in to be put under a basket? Now, when you read the next verse, it seems to be saying that Jesus will bring light into darkness. If any, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. The Old Testament passage, Romans, uh, sorry, Isaiah 8, referred to the darkness that was settling into uh, Galilee. And, and chapter 9 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And that light is portrayed referred to in the New Testament as Jesus. Jesus came as the great light. Do you remember how Jesus spoke of himself in the Gospel of John? He said, I am the light of the world. He promised that whoever would follow him would not walk in darkness, but would have the light of life. How many of us feel dark sometimes? And how many of our friends and family are in dark places. For some of you, it may, may seem that you've always been fumbling in the dark, trying to find your way in life. And it may be because you've never met the light of the world. Many of us, of course, had a short taste of darkness a couple of weeks ago when we lost power for several days, as the case may be. But we had flashlights, didn't we? Imagine being completely in the dark forever. It's horrifying. But Jesus promises the light of life to those who follow him. And that's a promise for you. If you do not know Jesus, believe in him and follow him, and you will have the light of life. But the passage also seems to be saying that he would bring to life, to light rather, that which is hidden that which people may be ashamed of. Every response to the gospel will be brought to life. So he comes as savior of the world, but also as the one who will judge the wrong and put all things right. 
That should encourage us, and it should also make us sit up and take notice. Just to emphasize the point, Jesus goes on in verse 23 to say, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Don't miss it. On the one hand, if we are discouraged when Jesus seems to be losing in Canada, remember, he doesn't lose. He, as the light, will overcome the darkness. So we should be encouraged on the one hand, and on the other hand, we are to note the warning as if to say, you can't hide from God. So listen carefully, or as verse 24 says, pay attention to what you hear. Paying attention to what you hear may mean being careful what you listen to, what you spend your time scrolling through, or watching, or reading. And it may mean, listen to these very words carefully. Jesus then goes on to some intriguing, rewarding, troubling words in verses 24 and 25. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Bear with me for a moment. I'm, <laughs> um, Sorry, I've, this is a, a preacher's nightmare where he forgets a page, he put the wrong page in from home, and so I'm missing a page, and I'm going to wing it here. <laughs> um, what, what, I, what I wanted to say was, with the measure you use, so we need to listen carefully to what we hear, and there are many, many of us who have been brought up in Christian families and we've been here coming to church for years and years and sometimes we slouch down in our chairs and we stare straight ahead and we don't engage with the Savior. And he's saying, be careful what you hear. Be careful how you hear. Listen to this. Don't ignore it. And you might say, it's never going to happen to me. But the fact is, it does happen to piles of young people. They walk away from the church, especially when they go off to college, especially when they leave their families. But sometimes in their teen years, they just walk away and say, this isn't for me. He's saying, be careful, take heed. And you might think, as older people, it's not going to happen to me, but we all know of older people who have walked away. These are solemn warnings for us. On the one hand, Jesus is the light of the world, but on the other hand, he is the judge who is going to uh, come, uh, come and harvest us. I'm praying that we will drink in as much of Jesus and as much of his word as we can. It's there for the taking. And the passage promises that with the measure you use, 
it will be measured to you. So to summarize this first passage, Jesus brings the light of life. And if we believe and follow him, more will be added to us and his light will overcome the darkness. That is exciting and rewarding. It's the winning team, but be careful how you hear and what you hear. Don't take eternal life for granted. It requires a response. So that was the light comes, the first parable of the first passage. Secondly, the parable of the harvest or the seed growing, the next one, verses 26 to 29, is much more straightforward. It's primarily one of encouragement, but implicit in it too is a warning. Let's read it. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. I experienced this firsthand over the past few months. Back in late March or early April, I scattered three large bags of grass seed on our backyard where the grass had been very sparse. I raked it in and then I got a few sacks of dirt and scattered that over it. And then I did very little. After that initial sowing and raking, I slept and woke and slept and woke. And then the grass started growing and the yard turned green. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. It grows and as the passage says, he knows not how, we know not how. The earth produces by itself, it says in verse 28. The word in the Greek for by itself is automate. It's as if it were automatic. It or the Holy Spirit just does it. Now to be sure, the grass or the seed must be sown. We need to sow. P Paul asks how people will believe if they have not heard. He asks how people will hear without someone telling them the good news of Jesus. Paul said he worked harder than all the apostles. Jesus himself, we know, worked hard teaching and preaching and healing. But the central point of this passage is, this parable is that, if, that it is God who will cause his kingdom to grow. It is the Holy Spirit working quietly in people's lives, usually in the lives of people who have had a seed planted in them. Isn't that encouraging? Yes, work eagerly as Paul did. Look for opportunities to plant and water and encourage and set our priorities on what is important. But I don't believe that God wants us to be in a frenzy. We can instead rest in the realization that it is God who makes it grow, God who makes us alive, God who enables people to believe. That should make us joyful, even in times when it seems the increase is slow. 
Some of you may remember the heart-rending yet heartwarming story of Jim Elliott. He happens to be Margot's cousin. Jim had an eager desire to plant seeds. He and four other men and their wives wanted to reach a people that was remote in the uh, backwoods of Ecuador, the people now known as the Waurani. They visited this tribe many times by plane. They lowered down their gifts to win their trust. They were planting seeds of love. As they were flying around, they found a small river beach where they might be able to land, and they named it Palm Beach. On January 8, 1956, many of you will know, the five men landed there, and they were all murdered, leaving their widows behind. In the world's eyes, it could have been seen as a failure, a waste of lives. But the seeds that were planted by them and by their wives afterwards led to life coming to many of that Ecuadorian tribe. And the story itself has inspired thousands of people to become seed-bearing missionaries. Now, Jim Elliott did not have a chance to tell the people directly about Jesus. His seed did not lead directly to any, uh, any of the people of that tribe directly to Jesus. But the kingdom of God nevertheless grew beautifully through the tragedy. And then came the harvest when the grain was ripe. People who received the seed, the Waurani people in this case, were eventually taken to heaven. And those of us who believe in Jesus will be too. But again, there's an implicit warning in this passage as there was a warning in the previous one. There will be a harvest. The Lord longs to be gracious, and that is encouraging. But he is also the judge. In other passages, showing, shows, those, shows him separating those who follow him from those who do not, separating the grain from the thorns. Some taken to heaven, and some sent to hell. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we have looked at the light coming, the harvest coming, and finally we come to another encouraging parable, the mustard seed, or the kingdom comes. That's in verses 30 to 32. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. And yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that birds of the air can make nests in its shade. I have never grown mustard. I understand the Garcias have, and they love their mustard greens. But I was planting foxglove a month or so ago, and the seeds are like flour. They're so fine, I could hardly distinguish them and separate them out to plant them. It grows, the foxglove plant grows to about five feet tall. That's an extraordinary thing from such a tiny seed, similar to the mustard seed. The mustard seeds similarly grow into these large bushy plants. Birds can perch in the branches. And that's meant to encourage us. We can't mock the day of small things, particularly when the news, good news of Jesus is held up to scorn. Think of Jesus starting with his 12 disciples. One of them, of course, was a traitor. 
So really 11 good people. And yet the kingdom grew and grew and grew so that billions of people, think of it, thousands of millions of people have come to faith in Jesus over the years. The work we do here, the work we do in our church, in Hintonburg, in Ottawa, in Gatineau, may seem as if we're hardly making a difference, hardly making a dent. We are small. But as Jesus taught us last week through Frankie, Jesus is gathering his people. He is binding the strong man, Satan, and walking off with Satan's stuff. He's walking off, Jesus is walking off with people that Satan has accused and bound and kept in the dark. He's saving them, he's freeing them, he's bringing them into the light. That is the marvelous story of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom coming, of the mustard seed. So how should we apply these passages? First and most basic is receive the good news of Jesus. Receive the light of the world. If you do not know him, turn toward him. Ask him to save you. If you've been brought up in the church and just haven't engaged with Jesus, as Matthias did, Matthias who was up here this morning, if you haven't done so, don't delay. Tell him, young people, tell him, older people, that you believe in him and you want him to be your savior. It is such good news if you do cross over to the winning side. It is the best thing you can ever do to set yourself on the path to go to heaven where there is life forevermore. But make no mistake, the light of the world will bring to light everything and he will separate those who follow him from those who do not. Do not play with fire, literally. Secondly, the second application could be, and there's many that you could draw from it, be careful how you hear and what you hear. The words in this Bible are by far, of course, the most important, the most valuable thing that you can ever listen to. Pay attention to God's word. Soak yourself in it, memorize it, teach it, study it. It might require reordering your life in order to find time to engage with it, but it's worth it. Let him turn your life upside down or right side up. Finally, be encouraged as you plant your seed. It's beautiful to be part of the growth of God's kingdom. When you think of it, God doesn't have to use us as tools to grow his kingdom. He's the one who created the world. He can change anything he wants by himself without us, but he chooses to use us. That's exciting. We should be encouraged. Now, not every seed will end up in planted in fertile soil. In fact, the grass seed that I planted, we had lots of white-throated sparrows and juncos and other birds gobbling it up, but lots of it fell into the fertile soil, was covered up, and somehow grew. And that's what God can do. He can and will use some seed to bear fruit 30, 60, or a hundredfold, as the passage of the sower uh, teaches. That includes uh, seeds that you plant with your, your kids. Our church has been blessed with lots of kids. And the patient day in, day out work that you do with your kids, planting and cultivating 
is the mo among the most important things that you can ever do. Seed planting may involve holding street parties, posting things on Facebook, maybe volunteering with the upcoming refugee work with Matthew House. It might involve helping out with grief share or with Sunday school or with an after-school program that we hope to launch eventually. It may mean talking to your fellow workers. Your job might involve watering and encouraging and praying, especially praying because we realize that it is God who gives the increase, so we need to implore him in that regard. Some of you may remember Sheldon Zeitschik. We made friends with him through our Loads of Love laundry ministry. People planted seeds over the years, and he inquired. And over the years, people watered and encouraged and taught. And Sheldon became a believer. The Lord harvested him shortly afterwards, and he's now in heaven rejoicing forever. I'm going to tell you of another story story that we heard of uh, this Friday. On Friday, Frankie and I were in Dundas, Ontario, meeting with others in the Eastern Canada Presbytery, which is the grouping of our churches. One, one young man we listened to was named David Ryu. When he was at Ryerson University, someone presented him the Four Spiritual Laws, which is a pamphlet showing the way to salvation from Campus Crusade for Christ or Power to Change. And David became a Christian, and he now, his greatest uh, passion is to plant seeds, and he now is trying to plant a, uh, a, a, plant a church among uh, Vietnamese and other Southeast Asian peoples in Toronto. That's an uplifting story, isn't it? Of a planted seed bearing fruit. A unifying point of all three of these passages is for us to be encouraged to remember that we are working for the Lord of the harvest. He is expanding his kingdom from a tiny seed to a large plant and is working even as we sleep. So we should pray, we should stay the course, we should rejoice. We should pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers into his harvest field. May his kingdom come and may our Lord be glorified. Amen. Let us pray. Our dear Father in heaven, there may be people here who have never engaged with you. And Lord God, the seed has been planted today and past days. And we pray for your mercy, your abundant mercy upon us all, especially any of us who do not know you. Give us faith that right now we can ask you to be our savior. We pray that you'll help us to soak in your word so that with a measure that we use, it will be measured to us. And that you will just flood us with good things. Good things, good spiritual things. Lord God, we ask that you'll bless the planting of the seed in our lives, in our families' lives, our friends' lives, in our neighborhoods, and elsewhere around the world. We pray that you'll send workers into the harvest field. We pray that the seeds that we planted will bear fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.